When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Old radio, old radio, old radio, old radio, old radio. Comedy Podcast. Welcome to episode 58 of season 3 of the Old Radio Comedy Podcast. Ann Southern got her start in show business in 1928 when she won a role in Warner Brothers' review The Show of Shows while visiting her mother in California. She grew tired of only appearing in bit parts, and in 1930 she met Florenz Ziegfeld at a party, who offered her a part in one of his productions. She moved to New York and took him up on his offer, and began starring in Broadway productions such as America's Sweetheart and Everybody's Welcome. She changed her name from Harriet Lake to Ann Southern in 1934, signed a contract with Columbia Pictures, and starred in several B-films. In 1936, she signed with RKL Pictures and starred in several box office failures. She then signed with MGM and starred in the title role of the film Maisie in 1939. From then until 1947, she starred in 10 Maisie sequels, and Southern became a household name. She was given her own radio show, The Adventures of Maisie, from 1945 to 1947, and again in 1952. Her success declined afterwards, and she only appeared sporadically in films, and only in supporting roles. In 1953, she found renewed success on television, starring in the show Private Secretary. She then starred in the Ann Southern Show from 1958 to 1961. She went on to continue to star on TV and film until the end of her life. She died on March 15, 2001, aged 92. Monty Woolley starred out as a director on Broadway in the 1920s then began acting in theater for the next decade. In the 1940s and 50s, he appeared in many films, signing with 20th Century Fox, as well as being a frequent guest on radio programs. He started in his own radio show, The Magnificent Montague, from 1950 to 1951, where he played a down-on-his-luck Shakespearean actor who was forced to take a role in a daily radio show. Woolley returned to film and TV after Montague ended, but retired in 1955 due to ill health. He died on May 6, 1963, age 74. Now sit back and enjoy the March 2, 1950 broadcast of The Adventures of Maisie and the December 15, 1950 broadcast of The Magnificent Montague. Hiya, babe. Say how about a little... Ouch! Does that answer your question, buddy? <laughs> Adventures of Maisie, starring Anne Southern. You all remember Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's famous Maisie pictures. In just a moment, you'll hear Maisie in radio, starring the same glamorous star you all went to see and loved on the screen, Anne Southern. But first, your announcer.
now here's Ann Southern as Maisie. Yep, I'm Maisie, like the fella said. Maisie Revere. And I'm a showgirl. An out-of-work showgirl. I just quit a nightclub because the manager wanted me to show a little too much. So I just packed my old black suitcase and hit the road. It was way out west where men are supposed to be. Only for miles and miles I didn't see any. Then as luck would have it, I stumbled up to a farmhouse and the farmer, a really nice widowed gentleman named Jed Parker, surprised me by offering me a job. And I surprised him by taking it. (laughs) I'd never worked on a farm before and I never realized what a leisurely life farm work is. You cook the meals, draw the water from the well, feed the chickens, clean the house, churn the butter, scrub the laundry, and simple little chores like that. Well, you'll have to pardon me now, folks. I've got to get to work. Well, how's it coming, Maisie? Oh, good evening, Mr. Parker. Evening? Maisie, it's morning. It is. <laughs> and how come it's so dark? <laughs> you still got your eyes closed. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Guess I'm still not used to getting up so early, boss. Oh, I know farming is hard work, Maisie, but it's done you a lot of good. It's making a new woman out of you. Well, see, you're, you're very kind, Mr. Parker. Oh, you're the one that's kind, Maisie. You can stay here as long as you want. I like you. <laughs> and Timmy worships the ground you walk on. And I think that son of yours is a wonderful boy. Handsome, too. Oh, you really think so, Maisie? I mean, Miss Revere. Timmy, you got everything that Van Johnson has. And I pity the poor girls around here when you start breaking it in. Van Johnson? Sure. Oh, you're just laughing at me. <laughs> no, we're not, Timmy. You're my little sweetheart. I am? Gosh. <laughs> well, stop blushing, sweetheart, and go down and get the mail. Yes, oh, yes, sure. Pa, uh, would you like to walk down to the mailbox with me, Maisie? I want to ask you something, uh, well, sort of personal. Well, I'm afraid it'll have to keep a while, Timmy. I still got these rugs to beat. Oh, okay, Maisie. I'll be right back. Yeah, Maisie, let me beat those rugs for you. You must be tired. Uh-uh. Beating rugs is the one thing I enjoy. I keep imagining each rug is a personal enemy of mine. <laughs> well, okay, then. I'll get to work. Hmm. Now, on with the fun. My agent, <coughs> the guy that sold me these tight shoes, <coughs> the cricket that kept me up last night. Ouch! Oh, I'm sorry, Cricket. I didn't think you were listening. Miss, I'm not a Cricket. I'm Judge Snodgrass. Oh, I'm terribly sorry, Judge. But you shouldn't hide behind rugs. Where did I hit you? In the... Never mind, never mind. Oh, that low, huh? Well, that's what you get for snooping. I was not snooping, Miss. I've got the farm the other side of the fence. And say, I ain't seen you around before. You ain't Jed Parker's new wife by any chance, are you? Nope. One of his kinfolk, maybe? Nope. I'm just staying here. Oh, I see. No, you don't see. Now, what's on your nasty old mind? You tell Jed Parker for me that I won't have his hens laying eggs on my property. Oh, no you, Sonny. From what I've seen of hens, when they're going to lay an egg, they're going to lay an egg. You ain't heard the end of this, young woman. Well, I better get back to my place. Morning air is not good for me. <coughs> got a cold in my head, and I don't want it to get down to my chest. Well, why don't you just tie a knot in your neck? <laughs> I'm back, Maisie. See, isn't that Judge Snodgrass walking down the path? Yeah. Seems like the judge and our hens don't see eye to eye. Oh. Um, any of that mail for me, Timmy? Oh, no, just the weekly paper and some bills and my dancing lesson. Dancing lesson? Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, it's it's dancing that I really wanted to ask you about, Maisie. Oh? Yeah. But will you do me the honor to accompany me to our high school dance next Saturday night at 8.30 formal? Oh, well, Timmy, I'd love to, but... Gee, think of the difference in our ages. Oh, what difference does a year or two make, Maisie? A year or two? Oh, Timmy, I love you. You do? <laughs> Honest? When did you first know? I mean, am I... Am I interrupting something, old chap? Oh, Timmy, your voice suddenly got older. Oh, <laughs> hello. I, I don't think we've met. Uh, Ronald Thornton, a neighbor, miss. And how do you do? Well, likewise, don't you know? I'm Maisie Revere. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Say, you ain't... I mean, uh, aren't a farmer, are you? Maisie, about the dance. Well, I came to this country principally to study American agricultural methods, uh, mostly animal husbandry. Oh, I never knew animals actually had husbands. I just thought they sort of ad-libbed those things. <laughs> Maisie, uh, I'd sure like to take you to that dance. That's a joke, I'm sure. <laughs> no, I mean it. I'd like her to go with me. No, I meant about the animal husbandry, Timmy. Oh. I made her dropped over to find out if you've seen her. Oh, no, no. Her old lady keeps her under lock and key. Maisie, about keeps the Keeps who under lock and key, Ronald? They're having a three-piece band and... Oh, the girl they... I love, Miss Revere, Joan Hooper. Oh. It's a lost cause, I'm afraid. But why? I'm sure Maisie likes to dance. No, I mean my chances of marrying Joan. But why, Ronald? If the boy and girl are in love, that's all that matters, I always say. And that's what I always say, too. This means an awful lot to me, Maisie. I know it does. And we must do something about it. Yeah, sure, Maisie. When it's the real thing, we must make the most of each precious moment. That's right. We should bring Ronald and Joan together. We... Ronald and Joan? Sure. But how, Miss Revere? Frankly, I'm going a bit out of my mind. You ain't the only one, Maisie. Timmy, come here at once. Just a minute, Pop. Timmy. Oh, all right. I'll see you later, Maisie. Now, Ronald... If you don't mind my button in, what's the score between you and this Joan? Oh, well, Miss Revere, I, I suppose I'm too madly in love with Joan to have any pride left. If, if only I could see her once in a while. Gosh, the love bug sure has bitten a big chunk out of you. <laughs> yes, but but Joan's mother simply abhors the idea of her daughter marrying a mere farmer. The Hoopers are sort of the local upper crust, you see. Oh, uh, Pooh, what's the upper crust anyway? Just a bunch of crumbs held together by their own dough. Say, what that Joan needs is a little spunk talked into her. What's her phone number? Oh, I couldn't telephone her. Her mother knows my voice. But she don't know mine. And I've got an idea how to get her out of the house. But, but... but... There's no buts about it. You want to have children someday, don't you? Oh, yes, of course. But Mrs. Hooper would never forgive Joan and me if we got married. And your children would never forgive if you didn't. <laughs> Hello. Hello. I would like to talk to Mrs. J. Crosley Hooper, please. This is her. I mean, she. Who is this? I mean, whom? Oh, uh, well, this is the society editor of Whom's Who. I mean, uh, Who's Whom. We are inaugurating a new supplement to our publication, Mrs. Hooper, entitled The Most Outstanding Debutantes of the Year. And your daughter, Joan, has been selected as one of them. My kid? I mean, my daughter, one of the most outstanding debutantes of the year? Wow! I mean, really? Uh, yes, really. We should like to take a picture of Joan to publish in our forthcoming edition. Uh, would you have her come out to the Jed Parker farm immediately? I mean, immediately. The Jed Parker farm? 
But why not take the picture right here in our $178,000 home, surrounded by the culture amongst which she was born? Oh, that's a very good question, Mrs. Hooper. Have her at the Parker Farm immediately. That is, unless you don't care to have Joan's picture appear in print. Oh, sure, sure. Keep your pack. I mean, <laughs> don't be impatient. Uh, Joan will be there. Au revoir, my dear. That's French, you know. Really? Well, you could have fooled me. Goodbye now. Joan! Joan, come downstairs at once! For just a minute, Mother. What's all the ruckus about, Gussie? Crosley, how many times must I tell you to desist from calling me Gussie? You know what you should call me. Yeah, but I don't like to do it in front of our kid. I mean, now that we're accepted into society, I wish you'd refer to me as Augustine. And take your feet off the dining room table. Well, don't get all head up, Gussie. I got my shoes off, ain't I? Please, Crosley, don't be vulgar. It's our Joan. They want her picture took as one of the most outstanding debutantes of the season. Well, gee, what do you know? Our little stinker in society. (laughs) (laughs) Making her debut. Not debut, egghead. It's debut. Debut. Yes. Anyway, this will be wonderful for Joan. She'll meet new men. Now, look, Gussie, why do you have to interfere with a poor kid's love life? Pooh, marry a farmer. Our Joni will be brought up amongst culture, not agriculture. Think of our family position. <laughs> family position? What family position? Mine, Crosley, naturally. After all, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. And a tin tray in your hand. Crosley! Ronnie, darling, it's been so long. I, I didn't dream that I'd find you here at the farm. Well, it's old Miss Revere's idea. She, she brought us together. Oh. Yeah, but the thing is to keep you together. And there's one real yummy way. Marriage. Will you, Joan? Oh, gee, I'd love to. But, Mother... What's that old crow got to do with it? Please, that old crow happens to be my mother. I mean, well, despite what she's done, she still loves me. Well, so do I, darling. And don't you want to marry me? Oh, I do, Ronnie, in the worst way. Well, then do it without your mother's consent. That's probably the worst way. But, well, but... Why not? You're both old enough, aren't you? I mean, for a license. Well, I'm 28. And I'm almost 18. I'm 17 and 7 eighths. Well, that ain't exactly a December and May wedding, but there, there is a sizable difference in your ages. Oh, and you think that's not good? Well, maybe I've done too much thinking. Look, you two wait here. I'm going in the barn and talk to Timmy Parker and get an innocent bystander's opinion. Timmy! Oh, Timmy! Here I am, Maisie. Oh, Timmy. Huh? I want to talk to you about something very serious. Something serious? Yeah. How do you feel about marriage? Well, I think that... Huh? Me? Marriage? Yeah. I feel that that's the only answer to our problem right now, don't you? But, Miss Rivera, I mean, Maisie, this is so sudden. Well, I know, Timmy. It was for me, too. I'll have to ask my pop what he thinks first. Oh, I, I know he'll bring up the matter of the difference in ages. Oh, but that doesn't matter when two people both want each other so desperately, does it? Doesn't it? I mean, of course it doesn't. Uh, does it? Well, that's a question I want you to answer, Timmy. Oh, well, I guess when it's bigger than both of us, who are we to fight against it? Then the answer's yes? I, I guess so. Uh, but when? When? Right away, of course. 
Right away? Well, sure. Timmy, hmm? what do people in this town, people madly in love who can't wait, do to get married quick like without waiting for a license? Well, 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 oh, they they drive to Quigley. Judge Wiggins there don't ask too many questions. Good, well, I'll go to Quigley. All? Sure, the four of us. Joe and Ronald, you and I. That'll solve the witness problem. What? Oh, oh, yeah, I've got to have witnesses. I can be ready as soon as I finish my algebra homework. Oh, I'm so glad that you and I both see eye to eye on this desperate step. Oh, golly, Timmy, I'm so happy about it, I could kiss you. Oh, please, Maisie, not now. Later, when it'll be legal. <laughs> Adventures of Maisie, starring Anne Southern, will continue in just a moment. I hope we're not keeping you up. Well, yeah, I do all my marrying nights and my sleeping days. Couldn't you folks come back later to... Judge. No, I'm sorry, old chap, but we, we just couldn't wait. Isn't that right, Joan? Oh, no, darling, just couldn't. No, and I'm in a hurry, too, Judge, so put some toothpicks under your eyelids and start. Well, we can't without Timmy. Where is that boy? Yeah, where is the other witness? Yes. Here I am, Maisie. I was just making a just-married sign for the back of my... I mean, our jalopy. I love tradition, Maisie, don't you, dear? Sure, honey, sure. Well, we're ready, Judge. Judge. Oh, dear, he's gone to sleep again. I say, Judge, old chap, do open your eyes and let's have at it. I'll wake him up with his gavel. Uh, Ten dollars to ten days. Uh, Oh, yes, the wedding. Uh, uh, Take your places. Okay. Uh, do I take the bride's hand, Judge? Oh, well, hardly, old boy. I'll do that. You? Well, naturally, Timmy. Then after the ceremony, he goes on a honeymoon with the bride. He goes? Say, that's going a little too far. Don't you think so, Joan? Well, of course not. I, I, I expect it. You do? Timmy, didn't your father tell you about the facts of life? Yeah, but gosh, he must have skipped something. Maisie, won't it be a little embarrassing to have Ronald along on our honeymoon? Well, of course not, Timmy. You see, our honeymoon. Timmy, I'm the one that's getting married. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry, Joan, but Maisie asked me first. Well, I'm afraid there's been a mistake, Timmy. She's marrying me. Are you, Maisie? No, he means Joan. He and Joan. He and Joan. Hmm. Oh. Oh, silly of me to think I'm sorry, Timmy. Oh, so am I, Timmy. You're not the groom. You're just the best man. I mean, the best kid. Shit. Fine thing. I had to put on my new jeans for nothing. Well, let's get on with it, shall we? Judge. Judge. Pop out a bit, my lad. Yeah, wake up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. 
dearly beloved, uh, we are gathered together to witness the marriage of... Hurry up, Easter. Judge. i got to get back to high school, and so does the bride. Timmy. The bride. How old are you, my dear? Uh, old? Old. Uh, you have to be 18 to get married. If not, you must have the consent of your parents. Oh, fine. Uh, well, miss, how old are you? Twenty. Uh, Twenty-two. Seems to be a slight difference of opinion. Uh, ah, so, I'm just in time, huh? Yeah, Mr. Parker, it's almost over. Timmy, you're not marrying that... That show person. Well, now, I say, old chap, you've got this thing all wrong. It's that, 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 that actress I've had all wrong. She's not going to marry my son. Oh, well, Mr. Parker, it's Joan and Ronald that are getting married. Oh. Uh. Well, shall we start again? I'm, I'm a tired man. Do you, Joan, uh, Where's her folks? Home. Go ahead, Judge. Do you... Oh, then know? they gave the consent, huh? Couldn't be married unless they did. Joan's underage, you know. Do you, Joe? Underage? Oh, now look what you've done, Mr. Parker. Oh, please, Judge, please. I love him. Yeah, I'm sorry, little girl. You come back when you're 18. And now, good night. Well, oh. Dad, you sure did it. Oh, my mother will never give her consent. She wants me to marry a blue blood. Yeah, red clashed with her carpets. Oh, gee, kids, I'm sorry. Well, Mr. Parker, I'm not through yet. Some way, I don't know how. I'm going to get these two kids married if it has to be over your dead body. And at the moment, that's a very tempting idea. Crosley, Joan, listen to this telegram. Oh, isn't it too, too thrilling? It's from Ronnie's sister, Lady Millicent Smythe Smythe. His sister is a lady? Yes, you lucky girl. And it seems that Ronnie is really Lord Sir Baron Duke Thornton. Lord Sir Baron Duke? Not Count also? Oh, silly boy. Counts are French. And dear, dear Ronnie is British. I never knew Ronnie had a sister. Oh, and an immensely wealthy one. The dame's loaded. I mean, <laughs> quite well off. Listen to the rest of the wire. I am passing through the colonies en route to South Africa to visit the diamond mines Mater and Pater left to me and Brater. Brater? Crosley, didn't you learn anything at school? That's Latin for brother. Lady Millicent obviously has educated brains. But to me, she sounds like a screwball. Joan, dear, that is hardly the way to speak of your future sister-in-law. Sister-in-law? Oh, you mean me and Ronnie? Oh, Mother! Exactly. Now, here's the rest of the telegram. Suggest you arrange wedding, my brother and your daughter, whilst I am there. Will arrive at four, coming direct to your residence. Your daughter is a very lucky girl. Signed, Lady Millicent Smythe Smythe. She's lucky? Why, Ronnie's the lucky one to get a girl like Joan. Oh, who cares who's lucky, as long as I'm going to be Mrs. Lord Sir Baron Duke Thornton. Well, I'd better hurry and get into something nice for the wedding. Well, Crosby, aren't you going to get dressed for the wedding? Dressed? You, you mean a uh, tie and everything? Yes. And wear your tails like you did at the opening of the opera. Tails? And no brown shoes this time. Okay, all right. Oh, darling, it'll be a beautiful ceremony. And we'll have dear, dear Judge Snodgrass perform it. Oh, I know he'll be just delighted to meet Lady Millicent. <laughs> well, Crosby... You haven't said a word about the lovely plans I have. 
Aren't you going to say something? Raw, raw, raw. Curious too. Lady Millicent Smythe Smythe. Well, well, cheerio, pip pip, bee off and all that sort of thing. Oh, Ronnie, my dear, dear brother. Ronnie, it's. Uh, hello, Millicent, old girl. It is quite a surprise seeing you. Yes, it is, isn't it? <laughs> Jolly seeing you again, old girl. I, I, I trust everything at the old castle of ours is quite uh, jolly. How are the moats? Uh, the moats? Oh, they're fine. They send you their dearest regards, you know. <laughs> All sorts of greetings from your cronies at Narcissus Square. But that's Lester. Oh, yes, yes. Lester sent his regards, too. <laughs> Laid up the poor chap is. Hurt his leg at some game of spot. Oh. Cricket? No, broke it. Broke it? Oh, <laughs> such a delightful sense of humor. <laughs> oh. So this is the lovely bride. Oh, oh, dear, no. I'm her mother. Oh, and so young, too. Jidoo. Jidoo. This is the bride, my daughter, Joan. Jidoo. Jidoo. I'm her old man. Jidoo. Jidoo yourself. Put it there, sister. Uh, but what, where? Oh, uh, you you mustn't mind my husband, Lady Smythe. You see, he, he was raised on a ranch. Well, what say? Shall we get this wedding what not over with what? Uh, yes, yes. I believe I heard the judge's car pull up a moment ago. Judge Snodgrass. Well, I'm here, ready to perform the ceremony. Howdy, Crosley. Joan. Ronald? Oh, oh Judge Snodgrass. <laughs> Judge Snodgrass, this is Ronnie's sister from England, Lady Millicent Smythe. Oh, no. Fair to Midland. Lady Millicent, what are you doing with Joan's veil over your face? I just thought I'd wear it till after the ceremony. My face gets chilled from the draught. Well, Lady Millicent, I'll, I'll get you something else. A pillow, perhaps. Oh, oh, don't bother, really. The veil will do. We British are quite used to rushing at you now. Well, Joan needs that veil more than you. Uh, that's what you think. Now, nobody's holding up the wedding of my daughter to the man she loves. Yeah, let's get it going. I gotta get the doctors for another treatment. Some fresh girl hit me plumb on my sacroiliac over at the Parkers this morning. Uh, may, I mean, Millicent, uh, let Joan have the veil and let's go on with the wedding. Our train leaves shortly. Yes, our honeymoon train. Yeah, so give us that veil. Oh, Rosalie, you shouldn't have. If I ever see that girl again, I'll... You! Yes, Crosley, you shouldn't have. But Judge Snodgrass, you know Lady Millicent. I know her, and believe me, she ain't no lady. Now, listen, you old goat. Just because I happen to be working at the Parker farm. Oh, working. Oh, oh my, I think I'm going to faint. She ain't royalty. Oh, but she did it for us, Mother, for Ronnie and me. Yes, we love each other, Mrs. Hooper. Joan will never marry this farmer. Do you hear me? Never. Like heck she won't. That's the spirit, Pop. Rosley, how dare you talk like that? Shut up, Gussie, shut up. Oh, now, see here, Mr. Hooper. Judge Snodgrass, would you like to be a little angel? Well, sure. Then drop dead. Oh, 
Crows. Crows, you haven't spoken to me like that ever. Not in 20 years. Then I'm 20 years late. Then we can be married, Father. You're darn right you can. Oh, oh Joan, yeah. darling, at last. Well, if Mrs. Hooper's against it, I won't perform the ceremony. But we'll miss our train. No, you won't. We're all going back to Judge Wiggins over in Quigley in a hurry. And Joan. Yes, Maisie? If we're ever going to get Judge Wiggins through it, you'd better bring an alarm clock. <laughs> Just a moment, we shall return to the adventures of Maisie. I sure hope they live happily ever after. And they will if they remember one important thing. It isn't the saying of I do at the wedding ceremony that's important. It's the things they do after that counts. For instance, if you have an argument with your wife and she's right, come to her and admit it. But if she's wrong, take her to the movies. Well, I gotta hit the road again. Living out in the open ain't for a city gal like me. All that health can kill a person. Gee, it's a long way back to Brooklyn, especially if you're traveling by thumb. Well, gotta get going. Come on, feet. Mush. You've just heard The Adventures of Maisie, starring Anne Southern. <laughs> Maisie was written by Arthur Phillips. Original music was composed and conducted by Harry Zimmerman. Supporting cast included B. Benaderet, Ben Wright, Hans Conried, Sheldon Leonard, Will Wright, Earl Ross, Sammy Hill, and Sidney Miller. Jack McCoy speaking. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Magnificent Montague. The Magnificent Montague, starring Monty Woolley.
This is the story of one man's fight against himself. Edwin Montague, the magnificent Montague of the Shakespearean stage after eight years of unemployment, has sunk to radio. He is Uncle Goodhart, incognito, of course, hero of an afternoon program. In constant fear that his fellow old-time actors of the proscenium club may find out he has deserted the ranks for radio. As usual, it is morning in the Montague apartment. And as usual, his wife and one-time leading lady, Lily Bowame, and Agnes the maid await his arrival for breakfast. All right, all right. The residence of Edwin Montague and Lily Bowame. Agnes on this end. Oh, Montague? Yeah, he's up. We just peel the lids back from his baby blue eyes. Huh? Sure, come right up. Salagadula, chickakadula, bibbidi bobbidi what is it, honey? Who is that on the phone? Mr. Jarvis. Put them together and what have you got? Agnes. <laughs> Did you say Jarvis? Yeah. bibbidi bobbidi Oh, no. Jarvis is the president of Edwin's proscenium club. Did he say anything else? Just that he had to see your husband right away. Said it was a crisis. A crisis? Oh, Agnes, this is terrible. What's terrible? Probably one of those broken-down actors finally got a part and they're planning a torchlight parade. <laughs> Agnes, this can mean only one thing. The Proscenium Club has found out Edwin Montague's secret. You mean that he has two heads? <laughs> Agnes, please. I mean that he's Uncle Goodhart on that program. How could those old fogies find out? They can't get NBC on their hearing devices. <laughs> They must have found out. And now Jarvis himself is coming to tell Edwin he's been thrown out of the club. Edwin's oldest friend. They played Shakespeare together. They shared the same dressing room. Two hams from the same smokehouse. <laughs> Agnes, Edwin Montague is no ham. You're kidding. <laughs> My honey, he's the... Uh-oh, I hear him. He... The Broadway Limited arriving on track six. Good morning, Lily. Good morning, Edwin. Hiya, Buster. Ah, dear little Agnes. Still with us? I guess there was nothing in that rumor that you were returning to pro football. What a doll. As they say in French, beaucoup schmo. Ah, Lily, when we were first married... You wanted a cocker spaniel, and I wanted a bulldog. In Agnes, we have both. Now, Edwin. Oh, uh, Agnes. <laughs> Agnes, bring in Edwin's breakfast. Okay. Salad, a doula, chicken, Excuse me, Lucy Monroe. I heard the phone ring before. Who was it? Jarvis. Jarvis? Now, Edwin, you might as well know it. Jarvis is coming up to see you. He says it's a crisis. Lily, they found out. They found out I'm in radio. Edwin. And I've been betrayed. Agnes, have you told anybody I'm Uncle Goodhart? Why, I'm more ashamed of it than you are. <laughs> Lily, Lily, Lily. My treachery has been revealed. I, Edwin Montague, a proscenium club man have broken the thin, tottering ranks of the defenders of the theater to go over to the enemy. Radio? Oh, what a rogue and peasant slave am I. Oh, beat that breast, Daddy, eight to the bar. 
Billy, I've just thought of the most wonderful game for our Christmas party. Ducking for Agnes. <laughs> Edwin, there must be some way. Oh, that's Jarvis. And let's pretend no one's home. No, no, Edwin, you must face it. Agnes, let Mr. Jarvis in. Services will be held at three o'clock. <laughs> Agnes, where is he? He's in there, sir. He looks so natural. <laughs> Jarvis? Montague, Montague, dear friend, blow, blow thou winter wine. Thou art not so unkind as man's ingratitude. Oh, Jarvis, remember me not as this broken man, but as I was at our first play together. Remember your part? Hamlet, Lord Hamlet. Soft, what noise? Who calls on Hamlet? Lord Hamlet, it is us, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Who sent down for delicatessen? Oh. <laughs> All right, Rebecca, back to Sunny Brook Farm. Jarvis, for old times' sake, don't be hard on me. Montague, Montague, if, if I could have seen any way out of it, I'd have spared you. But the others insisted. They did? Yes. I had to put down... Well, I had to put down $25 for you. $25? What are you talking about? What's the crisis? There's no money for our Christmas fund. There isn't? <laughs> well, Say, Montague, Jarvis, forgive me. I, I was just happy because, because I'm in a position to give you $50. $50? Montague, you giving $50? Yeah, he hit the daily double at Hialeah. <laughs> I warned you, Agnes, just for that, no kennel ration for you tonight. <laughs> Jarvis, my last cent would go to our Christmas fund. Lily and I would gladly go without. Yes, Jarvis, that's how we feel. I father's felt the way you do, our goal of a thousand dollars would be achieved. I got 40 cents that ain't working. <laughs> Thank you, Agnes. Jarvis, a thousand dollars? Yes, you see... Every Christmas, the Presidium Club raises $1,000 to give to Broadway's neediest act. And this year, some needy comrade will not receive it. In order to live, he'll break the ranks and go into radio. Radio? Radio. <laughs> cursed be thy name. And cursed be our weak-willed former members who've fallen into thy evil clutches. Members who shall live in the Presidium Book of Infamy. Traitors to our beloved and embattled theater. Pardon me, I smell airs burning. <laughs> Jarvis, would it actually be lowering our principles if we asked these former members who are now working in radio to contribute? We need a thousand dollars, they'd give money. Never, never, that's dirty money, fool's gold. No, Montague, no, we must take care of our own. They shall not contaminate us who have not fallen. I understand. Goodbye, Montague, gallant soldier. Keeper of the flame of Shakespeare. Goodbye, Jarvis. Now cracks a noble heart. Good night, sweet prince. <laughs> Good night, Irene. <laughs> Lily? Lily, I'll kill her. I'll kill her. Edwin, now cheer up. Jarvis doesn't know you're in radio. He doesn't know, but I know. Lily, they look up to me. Me. Oh, villainy, I am thy chief. 
I have lost the heritage of my own memory. Oh, come, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the death of kings. Let out the clutch, boys. Here we go again. <laughs> Agnes. Edwin, it'll be forgotten. Yeah, forgotten? Shakespeare said it. The evil that men do follows after them. Lives after them. Uh, lives after them. <laughs> oh, my offense is rank. It smells to the sky. To the heaven. To the heaven. Oh, guilty conscience, Macbeth shall sleep no more. Rest no more. Rest no more. <laughs> Dream no more. Dream no more. Oh, this is fun. Silence. Oh, Lily, when I think of myself doing Uncle Goodhart, while poor old Jarvis, out of work, broke, has to go begging for money for Broadway's neediest acting. Edwin, time to go to your radio broadcast. Lily, I can hardly face it. I must do something to redeem myself. Edwin, stop torturing yourself. Go to your broadcast. Torture everybody. <laughs> oh, when will this loud-mouthed albatross be removed from my neck? <laughs> Lily, I must salve my conscience. There must be a way of getting that thousand dollars for the Presidium Club. Thousand dollars. Well, there must be a way. Yeah, look at the time. I'm on the air in a few minutes. <laughs> Uncle Goodhart, thanks to you, Judge Henshaw let Ronald go on that drunken driving charge. Uncle Goodhart, how can I ever thank you? No, no, my children. <laughs> Judge Henshaw was awfully sore when Ronald was brought up to him on charges of being drunk and driving his hot rod 110 miles an hour through the business district, mowing down a traffic signal and crashing into a Chinese restaurant. Golly. He was going to take away my license. <laughs> Ronald, give me the keys to your car. Yes, Uncle Goodhart. Ronald, you let me down. <laughs> oh, Uncle. <laughs> Ronald, my lad, I know you've been pestered by little annoyances lately. The police suspect you're the leader of an international dope ring. <laughs> when it's really your twin brother. I know your mother went to jail rather than tell the police where your father's counterfeiting gang is hiding out. I know your sister stole your life savings and lost it at the track. But, Ronald, is that a reason to take a drink? <laughs> uncle, I, I'll never have another drink as long as I live. He won't, Uncle. Here, Ronald, here are the keys to your car. Take Melissa. Drive out to the open highway and ride, ride into the sun and light. <laughs> so ends another episode of Uncle Goodheart, brought to you by the makers of Shalimar Soap. Remember... There is still time to enter the big Uncle Goodhart $1,000 letter writing contest. Just write a letter beginning, I wash with Shalimar soap because the best letter will receive $1,000. Uncle Goodhart will be the sole judge and his decision will be final. And now back to Uncle Goodhart and his thought for the day. When the landlord puts you out on the street with your furniture piled up high, 
And he laughed in your face as you stand in the snow. Don't forget to say goodbye. <laughs> okay, Mr. Montague, we're off the air. Uh, thank goodness my stomach can't take the punishment it used to. Oh, that was a humdinger of a show today, Mr. Montague. You shut up. Yes, sir. Springer. Yes, sir. What was he mumbling? Mumbling? Was someone mumbling? Who was mumbling? Zinza, were you mumbling? Me mumbling? Oh, I wasn't mumbling. Stop this. <laughs> I met my announcer, the gentleman with the marbles in his mouth and the cleft palate that this network has saddled me with. Was the announcer mumbling? Zinza, you're the director. Was the announcer mumbling? The announcer mumbling? He wasn't mumbling. Quiet. <laughs> I'm talking about something he was saying at the end of the program about a contest. Oh, that. Uh, that's a best letter contest. You're the judge. Oh, I'm the judge. Do I uh, do enough around here without being assigned homework? <laughs> oh, you won't be bothered. Zinza will take care of it. Yes, sir. <laughs> I'll just pick the winner for you and send them the thousand dollars. The thousand dollars? That's the prize for the winning letter. I wash with Shalimar soap because. Oh, spare me the reason. Thousand dollars? Zinza! <laughs> Zinza? Yes, sir? What do you mean, you will judge? But you said... It was announced to the public Uncle Goodhart was the sole judge. It would be unfair to my listeners if I didn't personally select the prize-winning letter. There'll be oodles and oodles of letters, Mr. Montague. Well, it's a task, Zinza, but it is my duty. You may pick the second prize. Gee, Mr. Montague, you're true blue. An honest-to-goodness, dead-on-the-level straight shooter. Thank you, Zimbabwe. Thousand dollars. A thousand dollars. Lily, you have the pen and paper ready? Go ahead, Edwin. Just write. Dear Uncle Goodhart, I wash with Shalimar soap because... Edwin! Lily, just write it down. <laughs> oh, I certainly won't. It's ridiculous for you to enter that contest. It is? How can I lose? <laughs> I'm the judge. Edwin! As the gentlemen who inhabit the racetracks term it, this is a boat race. <laughs> right. I'm writing it in Agnes's name. It's perfectly legal. Edwin, you just can't take a thousand dollars. I? Lily, it's for the Proscenium Club's Christmas Fund for Broadway's neediest actor. Edwin, I don't like it. It's thievery. Lily, radio owes this to the theater. It's small enough to pay for the havoc it has wrought to our profession. A thief, am I? <laughs> I'm Robin Hood. Now write. But Edwin... Write, Lily. Dear Uncle Goodhart. I wash with uh, Shalimar soap because... Now, uh, just how would Agnes word it? Take this down, Lily. Go ahead. I wash with Shalimar soap because all day long my hands is up to the wrists in chopped meat, onions, and other garbage. Edwin! <laughs> right. As a result, my knuckles and hands is always unsightly chapped. 
Shalom Soap has restored my paws to such loveliness and charm, they are the talk of the A&P. <laughs> Signed, Agnes Peters. Now address the envelope, Uncle Goodheart Letter Writing Contest, care of the Uncle Goodheart Radio Program. Attention, Uncle Goodheart. You got that, Lily? Yes, Uncle Goodheart. Oh, I can't wait to announce the winner. We'll be back with a magnificent Montague in just a moment. The big event on Uncle Goodhart's program has arrived. He is announcing the winner of the Uncle Goodhart Letter Writing Contest. Listen. Then, dear listeners, the prize-winning letter ends in the same beautifully phrased, homespun, earthy style. Quote, My lovely paws are now the talk of the A and P. And the name of the winner, Miss Agnes Peters of New York City. I have the $1,000 in cash right here, and I'm sending it out immediately by messenger. And to you millions of listeners who wrote letters in and didn't win, this is your Uncle Goodheart saying... <laughs> Better luck next time. They're off the air. Ah, Springer. Montague, that letter, how could you have picked it? It was obviously written by a moron. Written by a moron, you moron. The sponsor was quite upset. Good. Now, if you will excuse me, gentlemen, I shall send the thousand dollars off to its rightful place. Yes, Simser, as Shakespeare said in King Richard II. I count myself in nothing else so happy as in a soul remembering my dear friend. My good friend. My good friend. Thank you. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's you, Edward. Hello, Lily. I was just making a little package of cigarettes and fruit to bring you on visiting day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lily, what a good feeling. I sent the thousand dollars in cash by messenger right off to the Presidium Club, care of the Christmas Fund. Just a little note attached. Fight on. That's all. Lily, with this one magnificent gesture, I have redeemed myself in my own eyes. Oh, Lily, what a glorious day for me. <clears throat> ah, here's dear Agnes. Hello, dear Uncle Goodheart. I heard your program today. You did? Get it up. <laughs> Get what? The thousand bucks I won. Let me explain. Don't explain. My letter won a thousand bucks. Get it up. Agnes, dear. One grand. <laughs> a G. One thousand clams. You see, Agnes. Shoot me the green stuff. <laughs> the folding move. The cabbage. Agnes, may I please speak to you? Gladly. Just as soon as you lay the 1,000 fish in my lovely and charming paws. <laughs> the talk of the A&P. Agnes, I can explain. Later, make with the shekels. <laughs> I got a furrier with a squirrel coat I just ordered, waiting for a down payment. Agnes, my dear Agnes, 
unknown to you, a great and noble thing is happening today. I know. I'm being snookered out of a thousand bucks. <laughs> oh, no, Agnes. It's going to someone who needs it more than you. Nobody needs it more than you. <laughs> Agnes, search your heart. Somewhere in this cold city, there is a poor, desperate man. I know. He's waiting for me to bring in that down payment on the squirrel coat. <laughs> Agnes, that money went to the Proscenium Club Christmas Fund. Oh, no. I'll have the joint raided. <laughs> Agnes, please listen to uh, him. Think of it. Your money is going to Broadway's neediest actor. Think of this poor actor living in his shabby hall bedroom, hungry, forgotten. His head bloody but unbowed. That money, Agnes, dear, will keep him going. Well, Agnes? Well, Agnes? <sighs> you got me, okay. Oh, Agnes. Agnes, you're a saint. I know you always try to appear tough, but underneath there's something fine. I know, and I wish it was covered by a squirrel coat. <laughs> Agnes, it's truly wonderful what you've done. Oh, the door. I'll get it. It's Mr. Jarvis. Jarvis. Montague. Montague, here is your $50 back. We don't need it. You don't need it? Montague, the sky's opened up and showered $1,000 on the proscenium club. $1,000? Why, isn't that wonderful? Great. <laughs> it's a miracle. An unknown benefactor's made our fun possible again with just a little note, Montague. Just a little note. Just fight on. Fight on. We shall fight on. King Henry V, Act Two. Remember Montague? Once more into the breach, dear friends, once more. And when the blast of war blows in our ears. I imitate the action of the tiger. <laughs> Heaven sinews. I summon up the blood. I, my squirrel coat. <laughs> Jarvis, you have brought great news to the house of Montague. And I bring even greater news, oh, Montague, noblest Roman of them all. You do? The moment the thousand dollars arrived, the board of directors of our proscenium club met, voted, and issued the following proclamation. May I? Read on, dear Jarvis. Whereas the proscenium club, a non-profit organization chartered by the state of New York, dedicated to the highest principles of the theater... Each year selects a recipient of a $1,000 donation as the neediest actor on Broadway. Excellent. Whereas this actor, this year, for the first time, the choice was unanimous. We hereby select a member who for eight years has not worked in a play, yet has maintained his dignity and position by a claim. The proscenium club votes as the neediest actor on Broadway... Mr. Edwin Montague. <laughs> and here, Edwin, is the thousand dollars. Jarvis, wait. Good night, sweet prince. <laughs> uh, now look, Agnes. You dirty, slimy, rotten, double plus. <laughs> Agnes, let me explain. You crawling, miserable, two-timing monster. No, Agnes. Poor man, living in a hall bedroom. Hungry, forgotten. Please, let me... Head bloody, but unbowed. It's going to be bloody, all right. Agnes, listen to me. Give me the dough. Agnes. Hand over the mazuma. Cross my palm with the green stuff. 
Agnes, we can't keep that money. It was supposed to go to Broadway's neediest actor. So you got it, Broadway's seediest actor. <laughs> Agnes, be reasonable. Edwin's in terrible trouble. Anything I can do to make it worse? <laughs> Edwin, there's only one solution. The second place winner of that contest must get the money. But Lily, I won it for the proscenium club. Edwin, find out the second place winner and send that money right away. All right, I'll call Zinta. You always wanted a bust. Huh? Hello? Zinza? Montague. Zinza, stop screaming. No, it's nothing wrong. Uh, whom did you pick as the second place winner in the Uncle Goodhart letter writing contest? Yes, I'll take it down. Oh, well, just give me the name. Who? Yes, I have it. Good night. Salakadula, chickakadula, Edwin! Who said in the second best letter? Put them together and what have you got? Edwin! Whose letter wins the money? All's well that ends well. It was Jarvis. Bibbidi bobbidi boo. <laughs> Now, here's a word from RCA Victor. They say that Christmas comes but once a year. But when there's an RCA Victor television radio phonograph combination under your family tree, you'll find it's Christmas at your house 365 days a year. And that's a low estimate. For the gift that keeps on giving, it's an RCA Victor combination. It gives you music lovers two superb automatic record changers which play all record speeds. It gives you radio lovers two new RCA Victor masterpieces, AM and FM. It gives you television lovers brilliant, clear reception wherever you live. That unmistakable, million-proof reception which makes RCA Victor television America's favorite. It gives you lovers of fine furniture, a cabinet so beautiful you'd think the price tag applied to it alone. And speaking of price, an RCA Victor combination costs so much, much less than you'd pay for separate instruments of equal quality that it gives you bargain lovers permanent boasting material. Choose your combination tomorrow at your RCA Victor dealers. And Merry Christmas to you every day of the year. Join us again next Friday, same time, same station, for another transcribed visit with a magnificent Montague starring Monty Woolley, created and directed by Nat Hyken, written by Nat Hyken and Billy Friedberg. Anne Seymour was Lily Bowen. Pert Kelton was Agnes. Also heard in tonight's cast were Johnny Gibson, Gavin Gordon, John Griggs, Anita Anton, and Bob Hastings. Jack Ward was at the organ. Your announcer, Don Pardo. Be sure to tune in next time, my friends, for another classic comedy radio show. I'm Greg Fordyce. Thanks for listening. Thanks 